Hello there and welcome back to another episode of the Long Live Rock and Roll podcast with myself, Laz Michaelides, and your co-host on the screen opposite me, Mr. Felipe Amarim. How you doing, bro? All good, bro. How are you doing? Yeah, very well, thank you. Very well, keeping well here. Um, that welcome, welcome to new listeners and new viewers. Uh, we are re-energizing and revitalizing our YouTube channel, which is why you can see our gorgeous faces if you're watching this on YouTube. Um, we're going to put in a lot more effort to the YouTube guys. So every episode that you hear is going to be on YouTube. If you don't like sitting and listening things on your car speaker or on your headphones and you want to get a bit of a visual thing going on, come to YouTube. And YouTube viewers, if you're sat here... Uh, and you want to, and you don't have time to sit and watch the video, and you want to do it on your journey to work. Go and check out the podcast, which is on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, and all the other stuff like that. So, welcome to any new viewers or listeners. Um, what we? Yeah, do- I always thought I, I had a good face for radio, but um, but now every, yeah. everything is everything's on YouTube now, isn't it? The best, yeah. The, I think you should just wear your Chewbacca T-shirt every week because then you can just do the, the comparison, right? <laughs> um, so for anyone who is new and uh, tuning in, what we do is we talk about classic albums and classic bands and all in the life of rock and roll, some topics. You know, we're both pro musicians. Um, we've toured the world and played with numerous different bands and artists. And so we just talk all things rock and roll. But the main aim of this podcast and this show is to... Um, uh, basically remind everyone of all those albums from days gone by that we think you need to check out whether you're a 60 year old who's heard it but hasn't listened to it in 20 years or if you're 15 years old and you're getting into the old music that your parents used to like or whatever this shows for you because we're going to take you right through the history books all the way from the 40s 50s all the way through to modern day checking out the classic albums and bands that we think are worth your time so welcome and uh, let's get started so today yeah. we're going to be doing a classic album. I mean, I just said it. They're all classics that we do, aren't they, really? Um, but we're going to be doing London Calling by The Clash. Now, this is an album that you chose, Felipe. So do you want to tell people why Why did you choose? Why did you put this on the list? Well, um, it's, it's kind of special for me that now that I live in London. <laughs> <laughs> Fair there's, there's a lot of references to life in London and life in the UK in general, isn't it? Which wasn't... Uh, wasn't a thing for me back in the day when I first uh, listened to The Clash and when I first listened to it. The yeah. reason, the main reason why I wanted to talk about it is because my my earliest memory of this album was a Rolling Stone magazine um, kind of 100, uh, you know, the, the, the best 100 rock albums, that kind of, you know, those yeah. lists that, that everyone disagrees with. Because obviously you can you can always mention uh, which albums are the most important in rock and roll history, but it's really really hard to 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 actually decide on the top ten or top five. But yeah. anyway, on that list there was London Calling, and I, I and I didn't actually uh, know I didn't didn't know the album by then, but the the cover was so remarkable so you know like when i when i and i knew that was an elvis presley album that they kind of nick yeah, the uh yeah. the font and the colors yeah yeah complete different picture and that picture is so rock and roll like uh so this so my first kind of uh interaction with the album was just a picture of the cover and yeah. and then now like researching about it i figure out that um, the photographer who, who who took that picture didn't want it to be used by 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 the band because she said it wasn't it wasn't good in terms of lighting it was a bit blurry or whatever it wasn't the best picture. I actually want to double check the information because I think that was in New York, uh, the Palladium in New York uh, in September nineteen seventy nine. So so the photographer, uh, what is her name? Penny Smith. So she said she didn't want it. She really didn't want it because it, it, you know it's not my be- my best picture. This and that, but it's it captures such a great rock and roll moment. A bass player smashing his bass. Apparently, he was unhappy with the bouncers at the venue who told people to never stand up during the gig. Oh God! And and a punk gig. That's not acceptable. Exactly. That that's that's not rock and roll. No. But breaking your bass at the end of the gig, that's rock and roll. And go. that and yeah. that that bass is now uh in the Museum of, of London, yeah. Uh after being exposed at the Rock and Roll Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland. So wow. it's yeah, it has become a museum 
<laughs> Object. Historic. Yeah. Really interesting. <laughs> Fantastic stuff. Um, well, I'll give what I do normally do is I normally give some quick fire details about the album just so that everyone knows, you know, so the basic details. So the name is London Calling, the artist is The Clash. It was released on the 14th of December 1979, and it was recorded in the months prior, August to November of 79. Genres you'd associate with it would be punk rock, post-punk, and new wave. It's 65 minutes long, and the producer was Guy Stevens. Um, and to kick off, before we get into the album, I've actually got a quiz for you, Felipe. Oh, wow, right away. Let's, let's go. I've got three questions, right. right. Question one, which song was left off of the album's sleeve and why? Uh, it's the last song, Training Vain. That's the one, yeah. Do you know why? Because they finished the song after the sleeve was ready, so it's yeah. not it's not, not listed. Yeah. Uh, so so some people actually thought that song was kind of a hidden song, uh, you know, a hidden track, <laughs> but it wasn't. It was oh just... Oh, my God, we found this track. We found another yeah. track. <laughs> it was just not listed. Yeah. Um, question two. When rehearsing for the album, the band had an afternoon and an evening rehearsal, but what two things did they do every day in between the rehearsals? They played football. Ah, and the other one... That's I don't know. I know they played football in between rehearsals. I don't that's know right. And what did they do after the football? Uh, cup of tea. <laughs> no. What's the other British thing to do? After football, watch telly. No. Um... <laughs> it's, it's almost, it's like the tea, but think different. Uh, oh, do you do it go to a pub? Yes. Yes. <laughs> So, so basically, okay, so the routine for, for the rehearsals was like rehearsal in the morning, you know, yeah. good way to start the day, and then play football, very British, yeah. go to a pub, even yeah. more British, uh, and then go back to the student rehearse again. That's it. That's exactly yeah. it. Well, what a life. That was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, well done, man. Two out of two so far. And the final question, how did The Clash get around CBS's demands of the way the album should be released? Oh, that's a tricky one. I know the label didn't want a double album. Yeah. So how did they get around? How did the Clash get around that? Do you know? I don't know what they did, to be honest. Okay. Should I tell you? No. They released a single album, which was the the first half, with a bonus 7-inch that then became a 12-inch bonus with nine bonus songs. (laughs) So they said to the they said to the people they said, "Listen, let's do this album, and then we'll just do a little bonus seven inch with three songs." Okay, let's make it five songs. Actually, let's go twelve inch. Let's make it eight songs. Actually, we're going to make it nine. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how they got around it. I mean, very clever, very cheeky, very the Clash. But uh, yeah, that that's it. So yeah. wait a minute. So I I got one and a half questions out of three, right? Yeah, so well, no, two and a half. Two and a half. Oh, two and a half. Yeah. yeah, well done, man. Well done. Well done. All good. Um, so let's jump into the album because I'm sure obviously we've got both got lots to say about it. Um yeah. now the interesting an interesting place to start would be that from their previous album was called Give Em Enough Rope, which came out in 1978, and it was very traditional and English punk. Then in early 1979, they started touring around the world and mainly um the USA. And the odd the oddest thing is the kind of support bands that were supporting them on the road. Do you know about this? I know Bo Diddley was supporting them. Bo Diddley right. and Sam and Dave. These yeah. rock and roll soul so, artists. What are they doing supporting an English punk band? I just found it really odd and interesting. And apparently wow. the Clash wanted those guys on the road with them because they wanted... true? Wow. Yeah, they wanted to make a statement about um, we're not a punk band anymore. Yeah. Brilliant stuff. Well, because of that, because they toured so relentlessly with these other artists, they became influenced by the music. They started hearing, as we we hear this so often, don't we? You know, the U2 episode, they went to America and Bono started sort of feeling um, his blues and Irish heritage come back. Um, And they just had this plethora of new music that was being put onto them through the tour. Uh, And what happened is they ended up... um, when they were starting writing this album, they got writer's block. They really struggled to come up with any new punk songs. And so they started messing around and jamming in the rehearsal room, bringing in those influences of the R&B, the reggae, the soul, the rock and roll stuff. And that's where the writing process for London Calling began. Yeah, that, that, 
that is an that's an interesting thing because they actually went to the rehearsal. That, okay, they were having a, a, a bit of a, a clash <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there <you> go. <laughs> with the record label um regarding you know contracts and management and all this stuff. And and they really wanted to do things their own way. How many of the albums we're reviewing that have that story? You know, how many of the, the those great albums start with a band? not having a good time with the management yeah. or label and wanting to do things their own way, which is rock and roll, isn't it? That's, yeah. the, you know, like rock and roll is that freedom. It's like, I want to do things the way I want to do them. And 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 I just don't don't uh, want the label to get in the way or, or producers or whatever. So, so they, but they, as I said, they had writer's block. So they had nothing, nothing done uh, until the, the moment they got into the studio, because it's it's normal for songwriters to keep writing stuff, yeah. and 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 just have uh, uh, loads of songs or, or or parts of songs to work on. So you go to a studio and say, "Look, I've got this, I've got this riff, I've got the, these lyrics, whatever." They had nothing, so they went to a rehearsal room. As I said, that like really uh, relentless uh, uh, rehearsing, drinking, playing football routine. Yeah, sweating, uh, sweating from the match, drunk from exactly, the pub. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Without actually having any songs uh, uh, from you know from the beginning. So, um, so apparently the second song, "Brand New Cadillac," which is one of my favorites on the album, mm. uh, they were using it as a uh, as a warm up song. So they started the rehearsal playing that riff and warming up, and that became a song. So, so that again uh, takes us back to that moment in time when every rock band would be playing together all the time, rehearsing, writing songs as a band, not as individual songwriters yeah. who happen to be in a band. Mm-hmm. And I think this is the most exciting way of writing music, and and my favorite rock songs uh, were written like that. Yeah. They are. I mean, you mentioned Brand New Cadillac. Did you know it's actually a cover by a guy called Vince Taylor? All right. Um, I didn't know. Yeah, yeah. Well, so, they were, so they were using it as a warm-up song. Interesting. Well, there's two covers on this album. Yeah. Um, the other one's near the end. It's Revolution Rock, which is the original yeah. by Danny Ray. Um, for new viewers and listeners, anytime, what we have is, if you see at the bottom of your show notes, this would be on YouTube and in the podcast, we've got a link to a playlist. Now, that takes us, that takes you guys to my Spotify, where I make playlists uh, with the album that we're talking about, and any other songs that we mention will be added in, so you can have a listen. If we compare it to a song, you're going to hear the original, you're going to hear the comparison, and it's all there for you guys. So check the show notes and the YouTube description for that playlist. Um, so, yeah, as you said, Felipe, they brought two songs in that they were enjoying playing in their downtime, enjoying playing in the rehearsing, and that they felt was actually beginning to shape the rest of the album. So those um, two covers were the first ones to be recorded, I imagine, because yeah, you would. Apparently, you brand new Cadillac was the first one that they recorded, start to finish. True. And, yeah. and if I'm not wrong, most songs were done in a couple of takes. Yeah, they did. They did, which is which is unusual. Well, it's not unusual, but it's um it's interesting because it sounds like a very polished album playing wise, doesn't it? It does, especially for the guitars, right? When yeah. you listen to the guitars, the the the, uh, the two different guitars, the the tones and 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 the and the phrasing and the playing is is actually really well arranged, and yeah. that's one thing that for me set it really sets them apart from the punk movement. I love punk music, I really do. But I, really? sometimes I've never, I never discussed. I love this. it. I love it. Really? I love playing in it. I like bands like Green Day, Ramones. I really enjoy yeah. that. If you can consider those guys, all those guys, definitely, fun. definitely, yeah, yeah. I'm not that familiar with Sex Pistols, but I think they're good, really good. Uh, but the thing is, punk is famous for um, the kind of music that people who are not great musicians can play, which yeah. is not really a fair statement. No, it isn't. It is. But what is fair to say that is, uh, as a rule, punk is very simple. Yeah, few chords, uh, arrangements that don't tend to be long or, or clever, you know, and The Clash simply broke all those rules. I think they just wanted to be a band. They didn't want it to be a punk band. So I'm, I have a question for you. Do you consider them more punk or new wave? Bro, this is the whole, this is really interesting and and I'm sure you, you want a quick answer from me, but actually what we can do is we can go down the sort of rabbit hole with this because... I had put off listening to this album for a while and there's no, it's not like it came on. uh, It's not like it was on my to listen to list and I just like, oh, you know, I don't fancy it. Whenever I saw it in the lists and, you know, I see the top 100, 500 greatest albums list, 
I put some, I put them all in this playlist that I can listen to. And when it came to it, I just saw it. And I was like, oh, do you know, I don't fancy it because I don't like punk. Really, there's punk I do like. You know, we did the Green Day review a few episodes ago. I enjoyed that. But in general, I do not like punk and I'm not crazy about 70s punk. So when I saw a punk album, arguably the most famous punk album of all time, released in 1979 by one of the most famous punk bands, I was just like, no, I don't think this is going to be for me. London Calling is a fantastic song, and I actually like that a lot, even before I listened to this album. And if I'm being honest, I think that's the only punk song on the album. Wow. I think... Man, look- do you know what? Do you know what? Because this, this, this album's got 19 songs, right? Yeah. I've got the list with me. I'm running through it, because I want I want to see if I can prove you wrong. Well, here, here right. Uh, I'm Not Down... Um, there's a little, little things like in, in song 17, I'm not down. There's a little metal gallop. So you've got to yeah. think heavy metal has been going for about nine years at this point, And in it, you hear the rhythm, which again, that's a little complex for punk. Yeah. It's punky, but that's still way more coming from metal. So I'm not down. I thought was punky. Um, and honestly, bro, that's really the only ones I really have that I can think of as punk. Uh, so for me, you're going to hear it in my monologue, but I think this is the punkiest non-punk album ever. <laughs> because <laughs> the, 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 at, uh, basically what I'm going to say now, I'll sum up my thoughts on it. The attitude, performance, lyrics, um, energy, passion is all 100% punk. But the music I feel is not. I feel, and this is going to be my big reveal later in the episode, may as well do it now. I hear so much Britpop. Mm-hmm. I hear for me, this could be the album that started Britpop. You listen to Lost songs, in the Supermarket. That's just like pulp, isn't it? That's pulp. Year, yeah. year three thousand, like Look. years before them, right? Yeah, year two thousand. Um, Spanish bombs. But I'm saying, I'm saying, it's like pulp years before pulp came about. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, saying. but it, it reminded me of the song Pulp Year Two Thousand. Yes, yes, it does. The high hat, the up in the year. You know, just so even the melody sounds a bit like that. Maybe Pulp took the idea from them. You got songs like Hateful. Uh, with the, you know that was light and upbeat keyboard sound very produced you got Spanish bombs which is quite Brit poppy with you know he's speaking the foreign language in Spanish we got that quite a bit in Brit pop um, what else have we got uh, the the card cheat I thought was very Brit poppy um, and yeah just a few others really it just really felt you know and the last song train in vain uh, really reminded me of Umbop by uh, Hanson <laughs> um, but I just really heard a lightness to it when you think of punk. And rightly so. You think aggression, you think speed, you think political lyrics, which this album does do. Uh, I'm sure we'll get into that later. Um, you think dissonance, unagreeableness, unpleasantness, be it in the way he shouts, the guitar notes, the the, the production. You, when I hear punk, I, th- I think generally unpleasantness. That's the main thing I think about. Yet this album was in fact very, very pleasant to listen to. The chord progressions were lovely. The melodies were great. Some of the things like the horn arrangements. Yeah. The the, the, the horn arrangements on some Man, of the songs were fantastic. Which other punk band would use a horn section, That's right? It. Yeah, That's it, none. Like, I, I can't think of any. And so, yeah, that, that, that was my headline thing for the show, is that for me, this is, this is the first step of Britpop happening interesting and, and i haven't gonna, so just to add quickly i haven't done my research into Britpop yet you know for those who have listened before i've studied quite extensively the history of heavy metal and hard rock music but i haven't really delved further yet and i can't say you know maybe there is an album in 1975 that could be called the first Britpop album whatever but to me and from my listening experience this is the first and earliest album that i think could be ground zero for Britpop. Wow, that's that's a very interesting statement. That's something I'd, I I couldn't see this coming. That's interesting. <laughs> Long live rock and roll podcast. Surprising you since two thousand and twenty-one. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> yeah. What, what, what thoughts on this? Yeah, some styles are really evident in the album, right? Yeah. Reggae and ska. That's like really, really evident. Yeah. Throughout the album, there's there's loads of rockabilly, which yeah. is you know you know, uh, uh, early rock and roll and country. Um, 
you can hear that on the grooves. You can hear that. And the song Jimmy Jazz is essentially jazz. It is, yeah. <laughs> because the, the drummer had a jazz background, which is unusual for punk. Yeah. Uh, so that's the other thing. I think if you isolate the vocals, right, technically the vocals are not um, polished. Let's put it like that. They're Vocal. not. Yeah, agreed. They, they like very punk vocals. If I isolate the, vo- the vocals and the lyrics, maybe that's where you can find the essence of punk and Definitely. them, yeah, but but the uh, the musical ability is like you know the musicianship is really really high level there. So yeah, they play agreed. really well. All the arrangements are clever and well thought. So that really sets them apart from I, any other punk band. I think, um, yeah, I completely agree. Just just looking at my notes, the other one that I thought was the, actually says feels like the most punky one on the album was Coca Cola for me. Um, just to add to that, um, which is but, not about the drink. No, <laughs> um, the you mentioned Scar, and something really interesting is that we had this Scar revival beginning at the end of seventies and the early eighties with bands like Madness and the Specials coming out and really mixing this reggae with rock music essentially. And the the Specials released their first album in nineteen seventy nine, a few months before this one, and I found it really funny that the first Scar song on this album, uh, track five, called "Rudy Can't Fail," mm-hmm. and the Specials on their first album has a song called "A Message to You, Rudy." Oh, you know the one, "A Message to You, yeah. Rudy." Da, 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 right. da, da, da. So this song, and it's very Sky. So I, I just found it interesting. I wonder if there was a little. Um, I don't know, a little homage paid between the bands of, of, of making a Scar song with the name Rudy in. You know, I've got no idea well, why. But, um... There's, yeah, they say that the song, well, I found, the information I found about this, the song revolves about Rudy, who is a part of the Rude Boys, a 60s Jamaican subculture that become popular in the United Kingdom. So, that so apparently those guys, yeah, those guys like to challenge the social norms and, and, um, and, uh, uh, like one of the things they used to do is to drink beer for breakfast. So, uh, <laughs> and Joe Strummer said, I, I got, I got, uh, some, uh, I got a quote from Joe Strummer saying, I wrote Rudy Can't Fail about some mates who were drinking brew for breakfast. They think nothing of it. Me, I'm past a stage where I can. I can drink brew for breakfast, but not every day. And that's made me notice them. I thought it was a hell of a way to start a day. So that's so that's you know adds to this story, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, brilliant, brilliant stuff. Um, yeah, like as we said, we've got a few scar songs in there. You've got Revolution Rock, um, you've got the Coca-Cola, which although I said was quite punky, I also thought it was pretty sky. Wrong and Boyo. I mean, the intro actually sounds like it could be the band. <laughs> it's very Americana yeah. for oh, the yeah. first minute, but then after that it goes into a bit of madness, bluesy, scary stuff. Now one that I, I was going to say Scar, but I'm not going to go with this, is the song Guns of Brixton, which to me is out-and-out out reggae. Because if you listen, it really, really reminded me of a song called, um, well, I think the bass and the music comes from a song called Harder They Come by Jimmy Cliff. Yeah, there's uh, a reference to it, doesn't it? It was, but also, for me, lyrically, there's a song called, by Bob Marley called Burning and Looting, and we'll put that in the playlist again, guys, um, which is about protesting the regime and burning and looting in order to get your message across. And I felt that the lyrics in the guns of Brixton were probably the most political of the whole album. Check this out. You can crush us. You can bruise. You can, yeah, you can crush us. You can bruise us, but you'll have to answer to the guns of Brixton. That's, that's pretty deep when you think about it. And I think this is an anti-police. Yes, it is. Cause it's about the anti-police riots in Brixton in the 1970s, uh, 1971, I believe. And I just felt that was really, really deep for for a for a popular album. Uh, again, we're only saying it's popular because that's what we're hearing from it—the Brit pop and stuff. Yeah. In the end, they're still a punk band, aren't they? Still writing punky lyrics. Well, and the song undoubtedly are punk lyrics. Yeah, the song "Clampdown" also has like references to to the oppression of uh, government, and basically, what uh, um, you know, some some critics say that they were. Um, reflecting on on the fact that punk is always questioning capitalism and they kept doing that during this album but the alternative is a stronger government which they yeah. think is is really bad as well yeah so basically they're not they're not giving you a choice they're not giving you a way out of 
you know, yeah. any you know, any big issues in society. It's just like saying, well, capitalism's full of shit, but also um, giving more power to the government is not not great, as seen yeah. by, you know, extreme police uh, intervention in people's lives and all that stuff. So, yeah. how how much of those themes are still like? Uh, uh, still resonate with what's going on in, in the world today or in many different countries today, not not necessarily uh, in the UK to the same extent, but... Well, I think you have to... Maybe. Maybe. Yeah, yeah you have to look, you know, and, and something that makes albums timeless can also be the lyrical content. I mean, not, I say not... I was about to say nine times out of ten, but that's just for me. Nine times out of ten for me, what I love to hear in a past album is something that could still be considered great today, but be it yeah. chord progressions, melodies, production, all that sort of stuff. That, for me, constitutes a classic album. But for some people, undoubtedly, lyrics are going to matter. And if, if, if certain, you know, you've got to think, punk movement was so important in giving young people of the 70s uh, an outlet and a voice. You know, it became more, you know, the the giving young people an outlet in the 80s became more towards heavy metal. Um, in the 90s, it was more grungy. Um, but in the in the 70s, it was most definitely punk because, you you know, the Beatles were doing it in the 60s with their lovely suits and everything. Um, but the 70s had punk. And this was the, the well, I said, yeah, the outlet that young people had to be able to, to align themselves with a cause. Yeah. And I think for people who grew up with this album for teenagers who grew up with this album and who the lyrics probably meant a lot to, it is going to be timeless, isn't it? The lyrics are going to mean the same thing to you today as it did back in 1979. And that could be exactly. because yeah. of your own government or because of foreign governments. Yeah. Well, there's always, uh, uh, um, so I think history always repeats itself, right? Yep. So parts of those lyrics are going to be, uh, um, uh, they're going to sound like they're talking about this day and age. They're going to yeah. sound like they they just written the album. One yeah. thing I like, uh, I really want to talk about is is the fact that they open the album with London Calling, yeah. which I, I think is the best song in the album. I it's agree. The only My real, real punk song in the album, although what makes the album special is that they go away from punk. But yeah. this song is so iconic, is so well played, well written. Uh, there's a couple of things I want to I want to say about it, and I want to ask you a question about it as well. Of so uh, um, it's for me this this song is a statement of rock and rollness and 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 the rebel uh, behavior, you know, in a certain way. It swings and rocks, but but it's dirty and dark as well. So because because of the lyrics, you know, what, what it, what it, yeah, and it's it's interesting. It, there's a swing to it, it's a shuffle feel, it's, it's a triplets based which is not like straightforward rock yeah but still very punk and still very very uh dark in in and is it i don't know if it's a call for a change or if it's just like acknowledging that that's the the end of an era or or things are not not going well whatever it is but joe strummer again he said in an interview in 1988 to melody maker magazine he said i read about 10 news reports in one day calling down all variety of plagues on us. So basically, he was telling that the news, uh, they were all about making you uh, feel scared and and, you know, and and fear the the worst is coming. And yeah. you know, it's like, as, as he said, all variety of plagues. And I think the news haven't changed at all. It's all about like, if we scare people, they're going to keep reading because they want to know if it can get worse. And, it's, and if you keep giving them more and more uh, things to be scared about, they're going to keep buying. Nowadays, it's more about keep clicking, right? Oh, I'm scared. Who died today? Or yeah. who's going to die tomorrow? <laughs> what kind of event is going to bring the end of the world? I mean, I, I'll tell you this. Um, I don't going to get into this too much, but since I was um, a child, really, in school, which means before you were born <laughs> i've been i've been listening to for, for new for new listeners and viewers i am about 11 years younger than felipe so exactly carry on please sir <laughs> which make which makes me old as fuck um <laughs> it's good because you can say the f word as, as many times as you want in this show yeah, sorry if you want to listen to it uh but so so since i was a, a, a young child i was i was uh, listening to you know teachers and 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 uh um tv presenters 
telling us that, you know, there's going to be a climate catastrophe or there's going to be a, a World War Three, right? I'm kind of still waiting for those events. Are they getting any closer? Yeah. Uh, it might, you know, it might be true, but it's it, it was almost like uh, you need to live in constant fear. And I think the whole idea of the song London Calling is to say, this is what they're telling you. And I, I have the feeling that the album gets lighter as it, as it moves moves towards the end. It's yeah. it, it feels like it's more cheerful at the end. It's more optimistic and it's more because yeah. there's there's loads of references to these events and 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 the dark side of of life in a big city from the beginning. But it gets lighter, it gets more sarcastic, more fun, more clever as as. as as it goes along, uh, and I think when you get when you get to the end of the uh, the album, you're feeling better than you're feeling at the beginning. That's one of the best things about the album, in my opinion. That's a fantastic point, man. It's that's absolutely brilliant because it does. And in the first sort of five tracks, you're really bouncing around because you've got the punky one, then you go to rock and roll, then you go to the jazz, then you go to the Brit poppy one, then you go to the ska. So it's a bit of a mishmash. And then the album kind of refines, doesn't it? After you get through those first five, it refines into a much more uplifted album. Now it's interesting because. Everything, what you just said about the album is how I feel about the song. A lot of it is so minor and dissonant. And um, for anyone who's, excuse me, um, for anyone who's not aware what the word dissonant means in music, it's where two notes, you're playing two notes and they don't sound nice together. That It creates an unpleasant sound, uh, not nice to the ear. And you hear this a lot in heavy metal. You might hear it in jazz as well. Now, the word dissonant can be associated with minor, darkness, sadness, etc. So throughout London Calling, Felipe, as you said, I hear this sadness, I hear this dissonance, I hear this darkness, and then it changes. It changes in the song several times because he's describing everything that you said, the misery, the sadness, the darkness in his life. And having lived in London and being born in London... I'll tell you now, you know, having studied, been born there, lived there for about six years whilst I was studying, when I think of going and living back there personally, I, I don't want to do it because I'm, I'm, I'm I've acclimatised to the countryside now. I like living here. I like my fields and my walks. But you cannot ever take London out of the man or the, the woman, you know, depending on who you are. Yeah. There is something inherently homely about London, especially if you've been born there. And... There's a lot wrong with London as well, prices, you know, all this sort of stuff. But when you think about all the negative stuff, you, you, it, it gets overridden when you think of the London Eye, Big yeah. Ben, and all that stuff. And I think the same in the song, because there's one moment in the song where it changes from being sad, minor, and dissonant to pleasant, major, and uh, consonant, which is the opposite of dissonance. Yeah. And you've got him saying all the minor stuff until... I live by the river. And <laughs> that moment is when it gets happy. The song changes for one second or four seconds, yeah. whatever. But he's talking about the sadness and then he's just, and then he's like, here's all the sad shit. No problem. Do you know why it's not a problem? Because I live by the I live river. By the river. <laughs> and I think that's just fantastic. And that alone is a reason to be happy. <laughs> oh my God. But that's the point, isn't it? You know, you can complain all you want about London. You can, you know, and I know London in this song is a metaphor for the governments and all that sort of stuff, but it doesn't matter because you live by the river, man. You live in London. What's better than that? One of the best cities in the world. And I just found that so interesting that, you know, we get this one taste of happiness in that song. And it's when he's saying that he lives by the river. Yeah. And it's, and the melody is so well uh, written. It's, it's, it leads you to that part. And it's kind of, yeah. Yeah. It just, yeah. It, it, it really, it really hits you when he gets to that point and says, yeah. you know, I live by the river. And yeah, I, I had the same feeling when I was listening to it again. Now uh, understanding the lyrics when I was younger, yeah. and listening to the idea, I understand. <laughs> and yeah, it does make it feel feel like yeah, there's some hope. Uh, and it's not like hope that this is an interesting thing. It's not hope that the world is going to get better, or governments are going to get better, or all the problems that we see in the news are going to end. It's just like yeah, I live by the river. Or it's just like there's some elements in daily life that can make you happy you know there's love there's like yeah. nice places to go there's people to spend time with and i think there's a lot of it and um one thing i asked you to do uh, in case you haven't done was to watch the video wasn't it last yeah yeah the video for for this song 
And um, I'm going to put the link in the show notes for everyone. I didn't listen. You said just watch the London Calling video clips. I didn't know which one exactly, but I did put the video on and I sort of hopped through it just in case that's what you wanted me to watch. Yeah, is it? I've seen it. Well, it's the one of them playing about to see a peer, right? Yeah. So um, that that calls for a segment. Go how, for it. How rock and roll is that? Because you have um, four-piece band Two guitars, bass, and drums. <laughs> Without <laughs> one lead singer, and he got two lead singers. Yes. Uh, playing, they own a pier at night, playing their instruments, and it's rainy at some point in the video. I don't know if it's raining throughout the whole video, but you can see the rain um, when there's a there's a shot just on the from the side of the drum kit. You can see the rain, and it's just that they play on a pier in the dark. And there's nothing, there's no actors, there's no special effects, there's no, it's just a band playing. And I think it's a cheap video. So, uh, uh, you know, how rock and roll is that video of a band in London playing at the pier, singing about London, singing about life in the city, and it's the dark, miserable London weather uh, kind of. well, sometimes less is more isn't it in terms of video making you know some of the best videos can be something where actually not much is going on but what is going on is vitally important so you know how rock and roll is that for, for again for new viewers and listeners we do these these are one of seg- some several segments we do where we ask how rock and roll is it describe the action and then we rate it out of 100 um so that act in itself is is pretty rock and roll you'd put it high 70s early 80s but then you have to consider the the song that the music video is for is as important and relevant. So I'm going to hit this with a solid 88, very rock and roll, and the song as well. You know, like, like as we've just spent five minutes going on about, it, so don't need to say it again. But the song matters as much as the video, and it is fucking incredible. Love when, that song. When the song is good, the video is just an excuse to to listen to the song again. It's not, <laughs> yeah. it's not. You know, they, I think they knew they didn't need much for that. It's like this is a fantastic song. Let's just picture a yeah. band in London and that's it. Play literally you know? less is more. Literally, yeah. I'll never um, go to that pier with the same feeling again now because I, I I don't remember watching this video back in the day or any any no. moment until I actually did my research for this episode so next time i'm about to see i'm going to definitely remember the video that's it Um, lovely um one thing i was going to talk about was we talked about the horns in the song some of the songs which i thought were fantastic um the the group that played the horns were called the irish horns group um which is fantastic that you hear them in revolution rock um where else do they come out um the right profile, you've got the saxophone and the horns as well. And I just thought that was really cool because there's another one. Uh, oh, no, it is the right profile. That sounded, that sounds like a song to me called Everybody Needs Somebody by oh. uh, a soul artist called, oh, shit, what's his name? S- Solomon Burke, I think it is. Again, I'll find it, guys. It'll be in the playlist. But you know the one, don't you, Felipe? Everybody need some yeah, yeah, yeah. from the blues brothers and it really has that soul and motown vibe and then complement that with the horns and the saxophone this to me is where uh the clash are taking those american influences from being on tour with sam and dave and bo diddley yeah see it's 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 the kind of stuff that if you if you're familiar with other genres you can hear you can hear them in the album mm. but i i imagine the most well the typical rock fan at the time might not have noticed you know yeah but uh, this is the thing that they don't go about making it oh let's let's write let's write a soul rock song yeah. let's write a motown inspired song these are just things that i'm i think I don't know. I think I don't want to sound arrogant, but I feel very lucky to have my ears because I really just naturally hear things. You know, I can pick out things um, mm. that and I'm not saying others can't. I just that, that they become very apparent to me from the moment I hear it. Uh, I, I can pick out certain things. Oh, that's a heavy metal rhythm. Oh, that's like a Motown drum beat. And I love that I can do this because I feel that I can hear where a song has come from. But as we've said, the package is then produced by The Clash and given to us as a new wave punk rock song that actually yeah. only to, to weird people like me comes across as a Motown inspired, but it's a different kind of song again, isn't it? A punk rock song with horns and saxophone. Yeah, exactly. Well, did you notice the Bo Diddley beat on Hateful? I didn't. There you go. There's a... Yeah. Bah, bah, bah. 
album. It happens on the song. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, the fourth song of the album, the first album. Good right? spot, man. I yeah. missed that. No, I Which is a that. great song. It's a great song about drugs. They say, you know, like drugs, are, it, it basically saying that they enjoy it, but they hate the fact they're not for free. You've got to pay for them, you know. So that's, that's what the song is all about. So that's what's hateful about it. And they have this Bo Diddley beat, which I, I actually put on my notes to ask you if you'd notice it, because I don't think it's that evident. It's just hidden there. So, you know, it's, it's just Good there. Good spot. Yeah, uh, interesting. And there's um, uh, there's another one which I found uh, completely unexpected, on the song I'm Not Down, right at the end of the album. Uh, yeah. There's a Bayonne groove, which is... That's Brazilian, boom, isn't it? Bat, boom, boom, bat, boom, boom, bat. It's a Brazilian rhythm, okay. and it happens at the end of, of the album. So being Brazilian, I recognize I used to play this kind of music. Ooh. And I don't know if they did it intentionally or if it's just something that sounds like it. It's loads of that, that song's got loads of different parts, and I think that only happens on the second verse. And it's... It, it, and. It's it's one of those things like uh, um, the the whole song is great in many ways. Yeah. This specifically this song I'm not down. Apart from the the Bayonne groove, which I just mentioned, I really enjoy the drum fills. I enjoy the fact they they wrote different arrangements for each part of the song, mm. and 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 it's a positive take. It's kind of like yeah, you know, things are difficult, but you know, I'm I'm not down, and it's, I'm I'm kind of like I I, I can still fight. Yeah. And uh, and there's an interesting thing about that one as well. The first time they played it live, uh, <laughs> um, uh, I think Joe Strummer said, "I hope no one is contemplating suicide." And I don't know if it's just just being sarcastic or he's just saying like, you know what, you know, you might be going from from uh, for going through difficult times, but this song is about like, you know, you can still make it. And really? I think that that's a, there's a positive message there, you know. Yeah, uh, it, it's, it's so. I mean, it's really it's one of those albums we can't talk about every single song because oh, there's 19 songs. One thing I really enjoyed is the song "Death or Glory" again from the second uh, album, which from from the bonus from the bonus seven from inch. the bonus <laughs> album, yeah, <laughs> which is possibly the best chorus and it's is a very simple, straightforward chorus. Agreed. And it's, agreed. It's essentially pop music, maybe not oh. the best song, but the best chorus. Can I tell you what I've written down for this song? And do you know the song Four Horsemen? Yeah. Track 16. I really heard some Rolling Stones in it. Interesting. Because I I found Lovers song. Rock very like very much like Rolling Stones as well. So two consecutive songs that yeah. we can... And do you know what? For Lovers Rock, I've got Clapton guitar playing. So it is kind of like that, that 60s... Yeah blues rock thing with the stones and clapton man this album's got it all isn't it for a 1979 album it literally has kind of taken all the music from the beatles to 1979 and just sort of picked the best parts and made it into a multi-faceted genre style album with punk attitude <laughs> yeah <isn't> exactly <laughs> exactly but man that's you really managed to, to, to sum it up perfectly it's what it is yeah. It's got everything, and again, I think you said this at some point. It doesn't sound like they're trying to do this. No, I think they're just trying to not be essentially a punk band or, or yeah. to not emulate the sound they did previously. Because the clash for me was, should I stay or should I go? Uh, so, so for me, it's Rock the Casbah. That's the that's the one I knew of. Yeah. yeah. So th- those are the, the um the two songs really that that. Uh, I think um, I think that the, put them uh, in the spotlight at first. Yeah. And this album sounds nothing like those two songs. Yeah. Absolutely nothing like them. No, it doesn't at all. Um, yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? I mean, very different styles. Oh, I'm just talking about those three Clash songs. But yeah, what a band and what an album. Uh, what an album. Have to add, bro? It's, it's, it's the variety of rhythms. Uh, uh, um, you've got, we've mentioned Bo Diddley, we've mentioned Brazilian music, we've mentioned jazz, uh, uh, rockabilly. Uh, there's some There's some marching yeah. band, is Nair playing. So there's Nair Drum <laughs> doing some marching band kind of vibe. Uh, that song, Jesus. The Card Cheat, which has got, it's got a kind of really heavy presence of piano as well, which, which yeah. doesn't happen anywhere else in the album, you know, Great like point, not yeah. much that level. So uh, it's, it's, at least unpredictable, you know. When mm-hmm. when a new song starts, you're like, where 
the hell are these guys going to take us now? <laughs> I completely agree, bro. That's fantastic stuff, man. Let's. Are you? Are you do you have anything else to say? Or uh, no, man. I just yeah. I just recommend everyone to listen to it and um, maybe listen to this. It just crossed my mind that the the album cover is a reference to Elvis's first album, which we reviewed. So, guys, have a listen to to that episode. Yeah, and listen to those two albums, you know, in sequence, and think about what rock and roll can be about. So, rock and roll can be Elvis and can be The Clash, and that's a long journey for one music genre. In a matter of a few, a couple of decades, really, and it's amazing what rock and roll became. And you, you see the, the reference on the album cover to an, to a classic rock and roll album, but what they're doing is completely different, but still rock and roll in its essence. Well, you say that it is completely different in the final product. But if you remember when we spoke about that Elvis thing, Elvis did the same thing, bro. He took the black music from the gospel churches he was visiting. He took some of the the, the early rock and roll from the studio that he was um, singing at. He took various elements as well and molded them together, just like the Clash have done. So, yeah, but that's a great shout, man, especially to so, the, so maybe to stealing the artwork for the cover was it, very very intentional in that sense. highly appropriate as well i think yeah. isn't it fantastic yeah. bro let's finish with uh i'm gonna put you on the spot tell me your favorite your three favorite songs oh wow well london calling for sure number one yeah because that's yeah. the same for me as well what's your number two what's your second favorite man i'm gonna go for jimmy jazz okay i'll tell you the second and and the third favorite yeah uh for the same reason so it's gonna be Jimmy Jazz and The Right Profile. Okay, why? Because those two songs are about characters. So the first one is about life in, in general and the city and, you know, and the problems. Those two songs are characters. Jimmy Jazz is probably a fictional character and is like a criminal escaping from the police. Everyone's pretending to not you know, have seen him anywhere, et cetera, et cetera, which is a very kind of a mafia style kind of story. And I love that. And The Right Profile is based on, on the story, a real story of an American actor called Montgomery Clift. They actually mention his name on it. And uh, he was, you know, uh, addicted to alcohol, drugs and all that stuff. And he had a car crash in 1956. And then he died in 1966. So after keeping uh, abusing drugs and alcohol. And uh, so it was famously called the longest suicide in Hollywood history. <laughs> <laughs> took 10 years so uh so this that song is about uh people passing by you know seeing the car after the crash and say oh you know that's montgomery cliff so um Shit, wow. that's an interesting real story in one song a um probably fictional character in another song and london calling you know what can i say about that one yeah. who said everything about it so those three songs for me it's really hard to pick but i had i had those songs in mind well, since, since, favorite, since in terms of lyrics and everything, yeah. Since it's a 19-song album, we really should have done five, but I think three is good, isn't it? Yes, no, three <laughs> um, is good. My really favourite three. Uh, what are your three favourite songs? So, London Calling, number one. I just think, I genuinely think it might be one of the best songs ever written um, in terms of what it stood for. You know, when, when we're talking about things like, you know, A Day in the Life by The Beatles, um, you know... Uh, trying to think of which Pink Floyd one I choose, you know, Echoes, do you know what I mean? Like, well, well each, each, each band, like the Beatles, Pink Floyd, um, the Kinks, the Rolling Stones, they've got some really famous songs that, that stand out. And I think this is one of them. London Calling just sits up there with the elite of the elite in terms of British pop songs. I know it's a punky song, but it is popular. Um, number two, I've got The Card Cheat. I really, really enjoyed the piano. It just took me by surprise and it took me in a lovely Brit poppy direction I just didn't expect. Uh, number three, The Guns of Brixton. Burning and Looting by Bob Marley is one of my favourite songs and this really took me back to it. And I love political lyrics when they have an impact. Yeah. When they actually make you think. You know, I sat there and I listened to it for the first time and I went, shit, like that's that's bad. Obviously, I'm, I'm all for freedom of speech and everything, but when I heard them say, you can bruise us, you can beat us, but if you, whatever, you're going to have to answer to the guns of Brixton. That's literally a message to the police saying, yeah. try and hit us, but we're going to shove guns in your face if you try. Yeah. 
and I thought, hold on, like, and nowadays there's you'd be cancelled for that, wouldn't you, if you were to release yeah, yeah. A, a lyrics like that? So yeah, um, they're my favourite three songs. And that's that's the one cool. thing as well. I think rock and roll, at least back in the day, rock and roll wasn't afraid of a, a, a talking about any subject. If you're right. in a rock and roll band, you want to go political, just go and do it. And you want to talk about you know drugs, you talk about them, that's fine. Or you want to talk about yeah. relationships. So that's it. You just do whatever you want to do. And that's very clear throughout the whole album. They did what they wanted to do. And we've said this many times in the show, isn't it? Most of the classic albums uh, happened with the band 100% in control of the artistic process. Yeah. Are you going to hear this? Ready for my monologue? Oh, man, it's my favorite part, always. (laughs) So for new listeners and viewers, um, I do a little monologue at the end of the show where I, after I've done all my research, I just write all my thoughts down into a few paragraphs and I give Felipe my monologue at the end. So here we go. I'm not a huge fan of traditional punk and so I've steered clear of this album for what I now know to be way too long. But The Clash and this album seem to be the catalyst between the Sex Pistols traditional punk sound and the new wave of punk that came in the 80s with bands like U2. The sheer variety of genres we are hearing that have taken the form of British post-punk is something quite staggering. Reggae, rock and roll, rockabilly, R&B and pop with an underlying punk attitude and sound results in a record that actually sounds way ahead of its time, despite the roots and age of all those styles that I've listed. When you forego the expectations that fans lay on you and let a band experiment in their own time and at their own leisure, then you can really create something remarkable and godly. And I say this because I always refer back to our episode about the animals, where we saw a band who said, right, for this song, we're going to write a blues song. And for this one, we're going to do an R&B song. And subsequently, they then had an obvious blues song and an obvious R&B song. But with The Clash, the unique combination of all of these styles didn't result in a, oh, this is an obvious reggae song. Even though we do have a few that say, okay, this is mostly Skull, this is a bit rock and roll, it resulted in an overall sound that I can only think was one of the main inspirations for Britpop, because I just cannot get away from this 90s pop sound that's going through the album. Hints of comedy, hints of pop, rockabilly, rock and roll, reggae, with an underlying punk and rock and roll attitude. They really made something special here, and I'm actually sad that I didn't listen to this album sooner, as I really enjoyed it. It genuinely sounds like an album made by a band who were enjoying fitting their inspirations and influences into an already established sound, and unintentionally creating a brand new style in post-punk. It's not an album that I would put in my top albums of all time, but I can 100% see and justify why others would. The biggest and best compliment I can give it is that this is the punkiest non-punk album I've ever heard. Wow. <laughs> well done again, brother. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, I love writing them, man. It's just like getting all your thoughts down into a mini essay. Um, guys, thank you again for joining us. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. We are at Long Live RNR Pod. Um, and then you can follow us there and stay up to date with all the episodes. So once again, thank you for joining. And yeah, thanks for being with us. Thanks for the new listeners. And thanks um, to all of you guys who've been following us for a while. And keep on rocking, everyone. And as usual, take care and long live rock and roll.